Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. two days in a row. How about that? Uh, great show last night. A lot of great uh, chatter on the chat. That was a lot of fun, actually. Um, today, we're going to stick with the Mariners, and we bring in intrepid Mariner reporter Corey Brock of The Athletic. It does terrific, jo- uh, has always done a terrific job, as a matter of fact. This is my first time speaking with Corey, though. I don't even know if I've ever shaken your hand, sir. So if that's the case, I apologize. And it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> we are long overdue for a handshake. And maybe actually at some point in the near future, Tom, we could even do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I hate to rely too much on, I guess, COVID as an excuse for not being social. I find myself saying that a lot. It's like, oh, yeah, we got to get together soon. But, uh, you know, COVID, you know, it's like, sorry. you know, so um, maybe once I decide to leave this room because I am vaccinated, we can actually do that. So are you um, are you how are you covering the team? Are you in the press box? Are you on the road? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, a lot differently. Uh, the clubhouses are still not open. And I will I'll explain a little bit what normal access looks like. Now, normal would be uh, as recently as 2019, which seems like an eternity ago, right? Doesn't it? Uh, uh, but we would get, you know, we get access in the clubhouse to talk to the players and the manager pregame um, where you get an opportunity to kind of wander around and talk to guys and strike up conversations that may lead somewhere, may not, but at least it's face-to-face contact. And then after the games, certainly we can go back downstairs, talk to the manager again about the game and talk to the players in person. Well, all that's been gone. That was all gone last year. And so far, no clubhouse access this year. So everything is done on Zoom, Uh, Um, players, managers. But we are getting, I I will tell you, Tom, we are getting some open access. In fact, I believe it started in many ballparks now. The Mariners are on the road, so I'm not with them right now. But when they come back Monday, we will be able to go down on the field and talk to players. Vaccinated members of the media will be able to go down and talk to players. Now, it doesn't mean they want to talk to us, but at least we have the opportunity to uh, corner a guy and uh, ask him some questions in person, which will be nice. I did get the opportunity to go down to spring training uh, for about two weeks. And I tell you what, I drove down. I just wasn't ready to fly. And uh, the quiet was nice. I have uh, 
uh, seven and a half year old twin boys. So I enjoyed a little quiet time in the car. I don't think that makes me a bad dad by any means, but uh, um, caught up on a lot of podcasts. But but the main point, Tom, is I got a chance to talk to guys face to face. And uh, some of these guys, you know, they've had so much roster turnover. Um, a, a lot of us in the media have not talked to these guys face to face. So that was nice. So things are beginning to turn. Um, access is becoming a little better, which is very helpful for someone like me who doesn't cover the game per se. Uh, I don't cover the game transactionally. Yeah. So and so suffered a, a knee injury. It's more like spinning that forward. What does this mean? Mm. It's features, features, storytelling. So I'm looking forward to getting back to uh, normal access. So let's get to some of that storytelling. Cause I see if you go to Corey's Twitter page, I have it up there, by the way, uh, at Corey Brock MLB. You've got a handful of things up there on Kelnick. That's certainly a big story with the Mariners right now. What was the final tally? Was it 0 for 38 before they sent him down? It was 39. Oh, God! 39. That I mean, that's just too much. So optimistic there. <laughs> right. I mean, I, he was he had me at 38, but now forget it. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah so I, I guess I'll ask you first. What, what do you take from 0 for 39? Before we talk about, you know, what his future means and then, you know, calling him up, sending him down. Like, because he's young. Mike Trout went through something like this. Like, what do you what do you take from 0 for 39? You watched him at the play. So what what did you observe? Well, I've been watching all these at-bats fairly closely. And, you know, I will say, Tom, up until about a a week or so ago. um, In fact, I even wrote a story and I'll own up to it. Uh, I wrote a story about why things could be better for the Mariners in June. And one of them was I thought things would start to normalize for Jared Kelnick because again up until last week and i'll get into that what is what changed was he was making pretty good swing decisions wasn't expanding the strike zone um didn't seem overmatched you know he was playing very good defensive outfield when he did get on base uh he could steal a base he wasn't adverse to taking a walk um he was just getting pitched really tough and had a lot of bad luck but i think what happened if you saw in the last week or so, the strikeouts really started to pile up. And the strikeout rate before then was pretty manageable, for, especially for a rookie going through this experience for the first time. And what we now know is becoming year of the pitcher, right? For uh, for fair and unfair reasons, what they call the sticky stuff. Um, oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was okay with him learning on the go, but I think, you know, it got to the point where they just had to make that move let him take a breather, uh, take a step back. And, you know, player development isn't linear. Not all these guys come up and hit the ground running. So uh, I think he'll be better off for this experience ultimately when he comes up again. And I expect that to be this year. Yeah. And, you know, the Mariners and their in the past, I guess, under different regimes, player development at the minor league and we'll say at the major league level early on has been a bit of an issue. Right. Uh, I mean, Zanino, I don't know if you could have done any better. Ackley was an issue. Whose job is it in the organization to make sure that Kelnick doesn't get in his head about this or or do or is it somebody's specific job? Is that everybody's job? Yeah, I, I think the um, 
that's sort of spread out on a lot of people, but ultimately it's a general manager. And I will say this, and I've given this a lot of thought, and I wasn't up here at the time. I was covering the Padres when Mike Zunino and Dustin Ackley made their, their debuts. And I still see this chatter, Tom, pop up a lot in comments in the story about how they ruin these guys by promoting them too soon. Mm. And you know what? I just, I, I just cannot buy into that at all. I just can't because ultimately that's – Really, it's selling the team short and it's selling the players short. I mean, this is, you know, at some point, like you can either cut it here in the big leagues or you can't. And I just don't buy that, you know, Dustin Ackley hasn't had a 15 year big league career because um, he got in over his head. If that was indeed even the case and never recovered from that. I mean, that's not that's not giving that guy any credit at all for having any kind of mental resolve at all. Right. It's like taking the agency completely away from him. You're right. Yeah. I just think, I just think the rushing thing uh, when, you know, when it, it could be the case, but I just don't think it's not an overriding detriment to these guys, because I think at the end of the day, you can either play or you can't. And Mike Zanino has proven himself actually to be a very consistent player. Right. I mean, he's, we know exactly what are the, you know, the two true outcomes, I think with him. Right. But uh, the home runs and the strikeouts, but like, He's what he is. Yeah. I I just don't buy that 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 was the case. I'm sorry if I strayed away from your. your No, I think that that's 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 an excellent point. Okay, because this issue of God and I'm not going to sidetrack it into something that I shouldn't. But this issue of agency and um, I guess responsibility. You're right. Now, baseball is a tricky sport, but. It would be strange to think that, like, a, a legitimate NFL, uh, NFL-ready player, NBA-ready player would not be able to perform or have a career at all just because, like, his organization failed him. Like, it doesn't—you're right, it doesn't make much sense. And in baseball, and I made this point last night— they have so many at bats in games to prove themselves in the NFL. I could see like you know, it's it's now or never, son. Like there's not enough games. Maybe you know you're blocked by other great players from getting in there. I could see how maybe somebody who's NFL talented might get pushed aside. But in baseball, you get plenty of chances to prove yourself. Yeah, and, and plus the other part, you're exactly right. That and plus that NFL window of. Um, that whatever the average career is sure. in the NFL is nothing. I mean, it's really nothing. And with baseball, and that's kind of long been one of the attracting factors for like two sport guys who have ultimately gone the baseball route. Hey, I could have a much longer career. Uh, chances of staying healthy are probably a little bit better in yeah. baseball. But no, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, NFL, you can rip up your knee and it's over. Whereas baseball, look, I mean, not that you don't get injured, but the threat of that career-ending injury happening right now and ending it is a little bit less, I think, than yeah. it would be. I mean, you know, I mean, Ackley dealt with injuries. You know, I mean, everybody does. But, God, that catastrophic injury that just ends a career like that, little more rare, I think. So, uh, and I'll just ask uh, one more question on Kelly. Did, did, what kind of opportunity did you have to speak with him? Oh, I mean, I feel like I've been writing Jared Kelnick stories ever since they they, um, they got him, but I haven't had a chance to talk to him since mm. he's gone to Tacoma. But, you know, I, he's going to say the same things, you know, that uh, he's going to make the best of this opportunity to get back to the big leagues. I will say this before any of this, all my conversations with him, even going back two, three years, 
a very driven, a very focused guy, especially for his age. Like um, I wrote a story a couple years ago. Um, I think it was in 2019. Yes, it was where for for a few weeks to start the season, Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick, who become fast friends, were uh, roommates in West Virginia at the affiliate uh, they no longer have now. But um, truly a odd couple <laughs> situation, Tom, where, uh, you know, Julio, fun, loving, energetic, bubbly, gregarious. And then you have Jared Kelnick, who is just laser focused. Um, everything is about it was about not making the big leagues, but being great in the big leagues. And that didn't mean he doesn't have personality and isn't as likable as Julio. They were just completely different. But I think the good qualities of each of those guys rubbed off on the other guy. And I think um, I don't really worry about how Kelnick's going to handle this mentally. I think he came to the big leagues, kind of ran into a buzzsaw, got pitched really tough by uh, in a a game now where velocity is higher than it's ever been. Breaking balls are better than they've ever been. Pitchers are better than they've ever been. And he got nothing to hit. And nor should he have. I mean, you you have to earn that. You have to be able to open up that strike zone. Um, But yeah, again, I think as we've seen with a lot of guys, when you come up for that second time, or maybe some guys it takes a third time, Ultimately, it kind of sinks in and things start to normalize and you become sort of the guy you're supposed to become. Right. And it's, I don't think this is going to be a playoff year. So it's not like, oh, God, we really, you know, we're expecting you to, you know, put us over the top this year, Jared. I don't think that that's the case. Um, who's shown progress to you this year? I mean, I was you know, t- September 2019, which, like you said, seems like it was eons ago. Kyle Lewis tore it up and I... Sometimes I think why, you know, a young player comes up and you mark it down. It's like, oh, this guy's fine. We're good. Next. You know, and it doesn't always stay that way. So who do, who have you seen progress from this year that makes you think, OK, this thing is, you know, sort of on the right track? Well, there's a couple, I would say. The biggest one for me is Yusei Kikuchi, who um, this has really been an interesting time in the big leagues for him. His his short tenure here coming over from Japan that first year, I think he had a lot thrown at him. Um, he became a dad for this first time. His dad died. You're trying to get acclimated to big league uh, hitters and ballparks and environment. And I think it kind of snowballed on him last year. I thought was a little better. You got to get beyond the ERA and look under the hood a little bit at some of the other numbers. And it showed a lot of progress. And I think he's taken that and he's run with that this year. Uh, there was a point, Tom, you know, he his contract is set up very in a very interesting way. Uh, Scott Boris is his agent. Um, at the end of this year, the Mariners have a decision to make. They could pick him up at four additional years for sixty six million. And I think maybe that's about seventeen million. I don't know. My mm-hmm. remedial math isn't great. Or he could also pick up uh, a player option for one year for thirteen million. Well, if the Mariners thought, even with all this young pitching coming along the way, that maybe at the start of the year they thought, well, you know, maybe there's a good chance we turn that down. And he just comes back for one year. Boy, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of pretty good to average pitchers in the big leagues making more than 17 million a year. And yeah. for my money, he's been really, really good. I mean, the, his track record and the, I mean, he's gotten better all throughout the season. He's really good. And uh, I would say him and JP Crawford, who's probably a guy we're not talking nearly enough about 
Uh, the shortstop, I, th- I think when we have had conversations with him, it's always started with his defense, which is which is phenomenal. He won a gold glove last year. And, that you know, they used advanced metrics to determine those winners. So this isn't the old you get a gold glove just because you're a good hitter and you play shortstop. This was because he was the best defensive shortstop in the American League. But his bat has gotten a lot better to the point where he's become a very productive major league player. So there, you know, there's a few guys that have taken a step forward, and I think there's a few guys who've probably gone the other direction. Yeah, and Crawford's interesting because, you know, as you look around at some of the young players, sorry, I got some beef jerky in my hand. I, mean, I may oh. chomp on it as we go here. Um, I thought that he might be a guy, Corey, who, like, didn't necessarily fit here long term and we'll see maybe i don't know maybe that could still be the case but correct me if i'm wrong this coming off season aren't there a handful of pretty great shortstops available the, the kind that i mean eventually the team when they, whenever they feel like they're ready they're going to have to spend some money on yeah. somebody just to for credibility, obviously for production, things like that. And this year would be an opportunity. I'm not saying it has to be; they have to do it. But this would this year does present an opportunity at the shortstop position. So Crawford makes progress, but there's these other guys. Like how would how do you think that shakes out? Yeah, and that's the other thing. Uh, yeah, it's a it's quite a crop of shortstops now. Lindor's off the off the chart now because he signed that deal with the Mets. Uh, Corey Seager with the Dodgers, who is not very good defensively. I mean, he's, he's just not. Uh, the offensive profile is certainly very good. Uh, Carlos Correa, I believe, is another one. Um, I still would think the Astros would make every attempt to. Um, to lock him up. So maybe this ends up not being much of a market at all, but you, you know, you, you do have to add at some point, you have to augment this roster. And this is what I've been saying all along, Tom, is that, um, you know, there's some people kind of that make the noise about, okay, the trade deadline's coming up. Uh, you got to trade uh, Mitch Hanniger um, and get some, you know, you get some players in return for him, prospects. And I'm like, hey, it's time to stop trading. Yeah, prospects. you got to commit to somebody. Yeah, it's 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 time to circle the wagons here and say, well, I, yeah, I will say this. The rebuild has to work in 2022 or it's probably not going to work at all. And plus, I just don't you don't get an infinite amount of time to kind of make this thing work. This is a third year. And granted, last year was, uh, you know, a lost year of player development. I get that. I mean, I, I respect that. And then maybe that set them back and set everyone else back uh, the same amount. But it's time to start winning. So you tell me you're going to trade Mitch Hanniger. What are you going to get in return for him that's going to help you win in 2022? That's it's just it. It's like, the, it's like the farm system, you know, they got all these pieces, but Christ, you have to commit to some of them. Otherwise, you're just trading guys for more prospects endlessly. Yeah, yeah well, that window's passed. And yeah, I understand Mitch Hanniger's 30 going on 31. Um, he's still a very productive player. If you need him to DH eventually at the back end of his career, so be it. That just opens up other opportunities. I don't trade him unless I get blown away in a deal. And I just, yeah, I just think that it's it's time to, you know, you know what, or get off the pot here because I, you have to augment this roster because it's not, Tom, it's not missing one. You're not one or two players short of a postseason contending team. You're not two, three players short. You have many holes mm. to fill here. And you can't just um, assume that these young kids in the minor leagues are going to help you get over the hump because things happen like what's happened to Jared Kelnick. Not all these guys will come up and hit the ground running. So 
how are they going to augment? I get a little worried about free agency, Tom. I just think, I just don't feel like they're going to make a huge splash here, but I think they are going to do a lot of stuff on the trade market. I think that's their best opportunity. And honestly, that's probably where Jerry's at his best in identifying guys um, who could help the big league club. Um, it's going to mean parting with some of your minor league players. Maybe not your top prospects, but some of this inventory that you built up is going to allow you to access some more interesting pieces. So we'll see where this all goes. It's going to be a really critical winter, but it's also going to be a really critical trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, it raises an interesting question though. So I, I crunched some numbers a few weeks ago. Do I, I don't think I have them in front of me, but um, I was looking at the, the proportionate rate of spending per team based on uh, the total payroll versus like total value of the franchise. So I don't expect the Mariners based on their worth to spend the same dollar amount as like the Dodgers, but the Dodgers Yankees, they're competitive or well, theoretically competitive. I think I had it that the Dodgers spend like their total payroll or their total team value is roughly 19 times what they spend. Whereas the Mariners, it's like 13 times what they spend. So I don't care about the dollar amount, but I do want them to spend money eventually. I mean, wouldn't it be strange to you if Jerry DePoto and Scott Service were shown the door without ever really having spent that much money, right? I mean, you're right when you say Jerry's at his best trading. And now, or this offseason may not even be the time that he spends the money but wouldn't you think he has to eventually like it would to me it would be like unfinished business if if i were fired and it's like oh geez i didn't even <laughs> i didn't even spend any money i just was developing players and making all these trades yeah and you didn't give me a chance to finish it well he, and, and he is tom he is in the final year of his deal they have to make a decision on um you know if they're going to re-up with him i assume they will i mean just because of what you just stated and the same for scott service um uh, to a lesser extent, I mean, I, I, I don't have any issues with, with him as a manager um, and generally not with, with Jerry either. I mean, this isn't my money they're spending. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's not unlimited I, either. I know, but I think, yeah, you, you got to give him a chance to finish it. But that time is here now or it's coming up. It's, it's about two periods. It's about the trade deadline this year and this winter. And whatever you do coming out of that and when you go to spring training in february of 2022 man that's got to be the club that you feel good about that's got a, a, an honest to goodness good chance at making the postseason because it's time it's it, it's time here and people you know they waited long enough um the, the rebuild uh, or step back um th these things can't last beyond four years i mean and not in the mariners case because you know when they when they did this they didn't inquire a bunch of 19 year old kids he said a lot of these guys were close to the big leagues and a lot of these guys are already here and we've seen kind of a mixed bag of results from some of the guys that they're counting on for the future so um, yeah, this is, we're reaching a real critical period for the Mariners. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, Evan White, they've already paid and as a minor leaguer. So it's not like, well, just wait. You know, I mean, he's you got, by your right by 2022. Something needs to happen. Right. So we'll leave that there for now. We I may come back to the Mariners in a second, but I got to ask, what is spider tack? I, I, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you, you, you jump online or you go on Twitter or something. And all of a sudden, there are these like there's these terms that get used like, oh, well, Garrett Cole's talking about spider tech. And I'm like, yeah, 
What? <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I know that there's obviously a discussion about substances, and so I kind of put two and two together because I'm a reasonably intelligent person. But what yeah. is that, and, and, and why is it getting this thrust of attention now? Well, because I, I think because the game has gone, I think it's, well, I'll say this. I think pitchers have always been doing this kind of stuff to some extent. And, um, you know, kind of like service time manipulation, it's always been happening, but no one ever talks about it. Uh, well, until someone did on a Zoom call, right? Um, <laughs> but I think in terms of the sticky stuff or whatever the, the foreign substance of choice is for these guys, uh, what what's sort of driven a lot of this is, um, a couple things the the absolute plummeting of offense in the big leagues this year to epic proportions where you go look across the landscape of baseball and you know things that are sort of happening that Jared Kelnick are happening to a lot of guys who have been been around the league longer um, and then you could also with you know with the you know the advance of uh, metrics now you could track spin rate and movement uh, much more now than you ever could have so yeah the the sticky stuff as they call it whatever guys are using rosin sunscreen um <laughs> the, the spider stuff oh our i don't know if you got a chance to read it yet tom one of our pittsburgh writers did a really interesting story he found the owner of the sticker the um the spider uh spider attack stuff and the guy was basically like, "Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that people were using it for baseball." Ah, talk about luck! I know. <laughs> that stuff up on Amazon as quick as you could, but um, yeah, it's it's and so it's re reached a critical mass here now where baseball has um, acknowledged that you know, yeah, this is happening. We're going to keep a closer eye out for it. Um, I don't know how much policing of that it will take place. We'll, we'll have to see moving forward, but. You know, I have to think if you're a guy that's been relying on this stuff a lot. And again, I don't know how prevalent it is, if it's 40 percent of guys or maybe it's 70. I, I, I don't know. So um, I think if you're one of those guys, you got to be maybe a little bit worried about where this is headed. Well, you hear pitchers say that using a substance, a little bit of pine tar or whatever, helps me control the ball so as not to hit you in the head. And I, you hear that a lot. And I, I mean, that may be the case, but part of me has always assumed that that's kind of a smokescreen. Like, hey, I'm doing this to help you. When really it's like, OK, maybe you're help. You're sort of decreasing the odds of that. But is it is it also causing me to strike out? Yeah, and you're exactly right. Yeah, this is I'm not doing you some favor by by using this stuff. If that's the case, then maybe you should share some of the wealth from your next contract. Yeah, uh, that that you maybe earned based on potential stuff and the sticky stuff. Uh, you know what I mean? Maybe you share that with the guy that you're not trying to hit. It's uh, that's a that's a real that's a comical stance to take there. But yeah, it's uh yeah, I think it's become it's reaching kind of epidemic proportions here. And I'm really curious. I, I just really want to see the crackdown. I just don't see baseball ever cracking down on anything. So and also you can't get the Players Association and baseball to agree on anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what day of the week it is, let alone uh, something major like this. That, you know, your quote there, I don't see baseball cracking down on anything. I mean, that it always seems to be the case that until something reaches a critical mass, 
then they like I'm thinking about steroids, right? Performance yeah. enhancers. I mean, we all know what the story is there. I think you know I've heard Goodell be accused of similar things. It's like no league wants to acknowledge anything ever until there's like this groundswell of support or I guess some um, outrage in this case <laughs> against it. How much better how, is it good business for MLB to to self-identify a problem and crack down on it? Like, do you think that they would be rewarded for that? Like in a, in a PR kind of way? To some degree. Yeah. And if it major product, I, you know, here baseball again, is still facing a major identity crisis with young people. Mm. Um, and I don't know how we define that. Um, ages eight to 20, let's say, you know, it's not the sport. It's not as popular uh, from a youth playing perspective as it once was uh, young people watching and following the sport. Um, th I think baseball has just done a, a poor job of growing the sport. And I don't, I'm not, I don't pretend to know all the answers here, but and it's not a dying sport by any means. However, it's, you know, with a lot of other options out there for kids, you see a lot of kids turning elsewhere. I, th I think part of the problem is baseball's got to look at this as, yeah, is this, what is this doing to our, our public image? And also, um, is this going to impede our attempts to grow the game, uh, to grow it with this next generation of fans? Because you, you have to do a better job of that. Because if you don't grow these people as fans, these kids, teenagers as fans, they, they're not going to just suddenly dis discover baseball when they're 30. Yeah. And what a wonderful game it is. Uh, I don't know, whatever your background, Tom, was with baseball. For me, it was introduced as a young kid going to Cheney Stadium in Tacoma and then going to see Mariners games in the Kingdom. And that got me hooked. It got me hooked immediately. And I, I've stayed with it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, how did you get into it? You're one of your colleagues, uh, Evan Grant, who covers the Rangers, put out something out on Twitter yesterday about, you know, who or what got you into baseball. And, you know, I just it got me thinking about, you know, my grandfather and my father and the 86 yeah. Red Sox. Um, and also that I played, you know, I. I played Little League. I played baseball in the driveway, right, with the neighbors. It, it never occurred to me that it was Major League Baseball's responsibility to get me into baseball because it just was something that everybody did. Like mm -hmm. if you were if you had any kind of athletic inclination age what 7 and up. Hell, even if you didn't, you know, you played T-ball or, or you and then you quit somewhere along the way if you're not good enough. But maybe that was just a different time where because like you said, there weren't so many other options for kids to yeah not even athletically, just to, you know, to do other things. Um, and so springtime comes along, sign you up for Little League. That's what we do, you yeah. know? And, and so we got connected. We got, I guess, almost indoctrinated into baseball for better or for worse. And that's just stuck with me through the years. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that's where you're right. That's where baseball nowadays, as opposed to like 1987, when I did, like you, they have to kind of put their footprint out there and, and appeal to kids 
to do this. And it would be a shame if that kind of, like, I don't think there's ever going to be a shortage of MLB players because it's such an international game. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe American players to some extent, but the long-term effects of that, like, like you say, they're still profitable. I mean, people are going to the games. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, they could just maintain this arc that they're on without fiddling with the game too much or trying to speed it up or make it a little more interesting. Yeah. You know, runner on second to start the. Yeah. The cheap fixes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are you okay with that? Luke? With that one? Um, not, not theoretically, but it's not, it's not a, a rule where I'm like, Oh God, here we go. You know, it, it's not that it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Run around saying I would, I would not do it during the playoffs. Regular season, I guess it's something I could live with if it doesn't cause too much interference in the essence of the game. Like, I'll be, yeah. I'll be honest, and I'm not saying that as a purist. I'm amenable to the idea of a seven-inning game. I know nobody agrees with me on that. But if, you're, if they're serious about speeding it up, and, and also getting back to the days of starter impacts and controls the game in a significant way like oh five innings three runs not bad yeah i mean like seven inning game maybe the guy goes five innings or six and it's him and it's a reliever or him and a setup man and a closer and out the door you go i think there's too many freaking pitchers and players that we see every night and there's 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 too much to keep track of it makes it difficult for fans to connect with i think the old, when we say the old days up oh, clemens went eight innings and stanley came in and closed it out I knew the players better because I only saw like two a night, you know, yeah. now it's like, Oh my God, I'm onto the fifth freaking reliever. You know, I, I can't deal with that. So I, I think a seven inning game could help that, but you know, the, the little things, the, the runner on second to this, to that DH in both leagues, like, eh, man, I don't know. Well, I will say this, the, uh, and I'd have to go back and look it up exactly, but the Mariners uh, beat the angels, on Sunday in Anaheim. I think that was Logan Gilbert's first win. And Ooh. it was a nine inning game, Tom. And I think it took over four hours. Oh my God. There's just, there, there's no need for that. There's no need for that. And wh wh where does that, oh, how does that manifest itself, right? Is it the pitching changes? Is it the time it takes a pitcher to throw pitch one and then pitch two? The, the amount of time in between, um, it's just, I mean, that's a, that's a tough ask for any fan to sit through a game for four hours, no matter if you're a purist or my wife uh, and I are taking our kids to a game, man, we're not lasting that long. Yeah. It's a long time. You know, it's just, it's, it's a tough ask. So I think, yeah, baseball has an identity issue. Um, let's see what they do with the sticky stuff, but I, I'm not really hopeful, but yeah. I'm curious to see what the, what the fallout is. So, yeah, I mean, I'll close out with this. You the identity thing. I mean, you're right. In, in, like in a broader sense, the identity of baseball right now is just it's a it seems like it's a sport that is only talked about as a sport that has problems. You know what I mean? It's like anytime I don't know, I don't listen to that much national radio, but like or TV or you know, ESPN, like that, those kinds of things. But anytime there's any discussion about baseball, it's about its problems. You know, it's it's not I mean, regionally, you know, here we talk about Kelnick and, and the day-to-day -day kind of occurrences of, of what goes on with the team. 
But it, it, its identity right now is that of a problem-ridden business. The NFL doesn't have that that issue. I mean, they have problems, but people, that's, that's not the conversation about it. NBA, different deal altogether. But like that to me is, is baseball's issue. So I don't know how to dig their way out of that because it takes a long time for a, a massive sort of image overhaul. Well, and what is that? Is that the lack of superstars? Is it the, the, does this fall on the league for not marketing some of these players? I know Mike Trout's a very private person. Mm. Um, and there's been a lot of, I think, pushback probably from his end about, um, you know, maybe not wanting to do a lot of national advertising or things like that. And that's well within his right. This is his personal, this is, this is his personal image and his time. Um, I, I don't know. I just don't know how you grow that, but we don't have as many marketable guys as those other sports do. Yeah. I'm just going to say this and like people can take it however they want and you don't have to comment on it if you, if you don't feel comfortable, but you know, LeBron James, and the 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 I guess the players, the NBA players, NFL players who are marketable. I mean, I, th- I really think the disappearance of the black baseball player, and not, not I don't say total disappearance because there are some, but the the fact that that's, that there's been such a decrease in the black baseball player, I just really think hurts that sport. I think the the marriage over over the course of what thirty years of like hip hop NBA the, just that sort of flamboyant presentation. The, it's such an easy thing to market. It markets itself. You don't have to yeah. do anything. Like people always say, uh, "Well, why can't MLB market itself?" They because they're, you can't market a sport that takes four hours with a bunch of guys standing around. How do you do that? You need to rely on the players themselves to find their way to market themselves. And the, the, I mean, does anybody credit Adam Silver or Roger Goodell with the game's popularity? No, it's the players that do that. And in, in baseball, it's just very difficult. You have you have your choice. You have like, you know, the white kid that won't talk or you have a language barrier. You know, that's that's just what it is. You know, so I, I just think that, that that is a problem that I don't I don't know if baseball can solve and, and certainly people are uncomfortable about talking about. It's and I'll say this, um, and this pains me to say it, Tom, like I think the general perception with fans and maybe maybe the younger fans, your potential baseball fans is that baseball isn't as cool as these other sports. It's what it is. And maybe that's just what it comes down to. But, you know, like, uh, I, you know, I'm, let's see, how old am I? I'm 52. And I, you know, I'm not going to pretend like when I was a kid, you know, every park we drove by, people were playing baseball. Kids were out in their driveway. I see none of that now. And I, I mean, I will say I did see some of that growing up in, Tacoma and Gig Harbor like you would see that and like that would be something you'd want to go do and you would go do with your friends I I see none of that now yeah it's too bad unless it's on a little league field somewhere now you have kids uh seven-year-olds do they play yeah it's funny you should ask I have uh, twins who are going to be eight in um, September and one played this year one didn't because he was doing basketball but he wants to play next year mm-hmm. and I help coach and I think that was kind of a fun little bonding thing with dad 
But again, this is kind of where we kind of have to, I feel as a parent, as a dad, um, and my wife can take baseball or leave it. And that's completely fine. But like, if I want to, I want to grow their love of the game. And the only way I could do that, Tom, is to keep baseball out in the forefront. They know what dad does for a living, but like, we'll go see some minor league games. Uh, we go to a Mariner game once or twice a year, just as fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll have it on TV because if, if it's not, if it's not visible, uh, then it's, it's not going to be a factor for them five years six seven years from now you're totally right I mean, I'll, I'll, i'm sorry i said i would close before I'll, I'll close with this every kid in this town who's grown up in this last decade is going to be a seahawk fan for life why because they've been winning and they've got these you know they've had so many great players and uh, guys to kind of like you know fix themselves to now that i'm thinking about it you know i said 86 red Sox. i mean i was seven years old my my overall sort of like cognizance co- coincided with the team being really good. You know, like in, if these kids in Seattle specifically don't get to see a winning team or at least a legitimate team like they haven't for the last 20 years, that's not helping either. I mean, talk to kids in, I don't know, Milwaukee, Chicago, wherever, like uh, Washington, D.C., you know, where there's been some ascendant teams lately. You know, I bet you there's more interest in those cities than there are, say, here, just for that reason. So good luck to your kids. For their sake, I hope yeah. that Kelnick turns it around. <laughs> well, how about this? How about this? Let's say you're a 10-year-old. And that's kind of at a point where you're kind of tuned in with your team. And I'm sure for you, the Red Sox, you knew everyone on the roster. Let's say, let's just use 10 as a round number, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you were growing up in Seattle and you're going to Mariners games when you were 10, you are now 30 years old and looking back at the last two decades without a postseason appearance. And also in terms of players, who do you hang your hat on for those last two decades? Who, who is the guy? Felix. Felix? Yeah. Uh, beyond that. I, I don't know. Who's your guy. You're 30 years old. You were a big Mariner fan. They went to the playoffs and they've done, they haven't, you know, gotten out of this this black hole they've been in for two decades. That's it's remarkable. Yeah, Ichiro. It's always it's Felix, but Ichiro, but right. you know, it's like yeah, they were great, but they didn't really win a whole lot. <laughs> Too bad. You're right. All right, at Corey Brock MLB, the Athletic. I mean, just follow him on Twitter. He's got story after story after story. Terrific stuff always. I'm glad we did this, Corey. Will you do it again sometime? Yeah, yeah. You've uh, you know how to track me down now. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right, sir. Take care. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. That was uh, that was Corey Brock. I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, does an excellent job. Uh, can we get rid of that? I had some audio problems again last night. I was trying to show you those um, Jim Fossil or the giant videos and the the audio didn't come through. I'm so sorry. I want to make a quick point before I run here, though. That thing I said about the disappearance of the black player in baseball. Again, I'll just go back to my own childhood. When I was growing up. I mean, I could... Bo Jackson, Ellis Burks, Willie Wilson, Frank Wright, 
Frank White, Mel Hall, I mean, Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden. Superstar player after superstar player, I will say above average player after above average player. Base, Mookie Wilson, Shane Mack, Chili Davis. Baseball just... I can't say specifically what it is. There's... I need to really think about this and like how I say it. I think we see this, we've seen it in the American tradition of music. Maybe fashion. I think athletics. Where in in each black culture just it leads the way. It does. It I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that jazz music, blues well, blues and then jazz and then rock and roll and then hip hop and everything else. Those art forms are art forms that America can claim for itself, right? They're, they weren't imported from other places, but they, they originated here in black culture. And for that, I could not be more grateful, okay? And when I think the reason for that is that in in well in jazz in hip hop and rock and roll at least initially there's like there's a fearlessness to it there's an honesty and there's a fearlessness to it and an edge that always, you know, we'll say jazz in the 30s, 40s, 50s, rock and roll, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and then athletics when we finally got around to integrating the damn sports. It always, that fearlessness and that pushing forward and the honesty and the, the unfiltered, I guess, element of it, but we, we're always starved for that. And when I say we, I just mean people of any race, right? And when we lose that, when we lose that from any of those things, there, there's a... There's a certain element that is noticeably missing. It just is. And it's a shame. 
and what, you know, what baseball does or can do about that. Shit, I don't know. When I think of, you know, those um, 80s, like, St. Louis Cardinals teams on that AstroTurf at Bush Stadium, Ozzie Smith, Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, Kurt Ford, Terry Pendleton, just blazing up the baseline, stealing bases left and right, doubles, triples, the balls rolling around, Uh, Ozzie Smith doing the... uh, the backflips to start the World Series and there's just an excitement to that. There is. The NBA's got that. The NFL's got that. And it's not because of the nature of the sport. It has those things in its essence. Because of the the players themselves and who they are. Baseball. Baseball has some of that. Not enough. Tough. That's a tough topic. I got to say that is a very tough topic. But I really think it's worth, I guess, talking about. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.